Foth here with Foth and Friends. I'm Foth, you're the friends. <laughs> and along the way, we meet a few others, don't we? This is the week of 9-11-2022. And just yesterday, I did a podcast where I shared that that moment in 2001, on September 11th, changed our world. I want to chat with you today, very quickly, about a moment that changed my world or the world of Ruth, my wife, and me. I'm sitting here on my back porch in Colorado looking out at a pristine view, uh, a blue sky. It's a lovely September morning, and you can hear the sound now and again of an airplane going over or, or a car down the road or some construction across the way. But to the same degree that 9-11-2001 was a day of death and destruction. Ruth and I have another day, another September 11, in 1972, that was as full of life as 2001 was full of death. It's 50 years ago, actually. Stupendous, it was a beautiful day, full of life and possibility. But let let me back up just a bit. 1959, I graduated high school, Fremont High in Oakland, California, class of 400 plus, and 38 of us went off 10 miles to the north to this university called Cal, Berkeley. Just a little piece of trivia. It was free to go there. Stayed at home, so it was really free. From 1868 to 1970, there was no tuition there. Neither of those things is true now. So those of you with college-age kids, I'm sorry to even bring it up. That next year, after my freshman year, I transferred to a small Bible college down near Santa Cruz, California, called Bethany, 90 miles to the south. And there I met a tall, green-eyed, sandy-haired girl called Ruth Blakely. In July of 1963, six weeks after I graduated, we married. Three weeks after that, I loaded up the car that I got in the deal. She had a car. And we drove off to Wheaton Grad School in Illinois, near Chicago, a 2,000-mile trip. I had turned 21 in March of 1963. She, Ruth, would not turn 21 until September. What I didn't know for years, I don't think I knew this, is that Ruth wanted children. I knew that. But... She later told me that she wanted whatever kids we had by the age of 30. Well, in February of 1966, our first child was born, a girl, beautiful girl, with a little red, red red-rimmed head of hair, like a tonsure, like, I don't know, Friar Tuck or something. Beautiful little girl, her name is Erica. She still is beautiful and she's still wonderful, though she herself is now a grandmother. In September of 67, In Illinois, where we had moved then, because we moved there in 66, Jennifer was born, and she was just full of life. She's always been the adventurer, ready to go off around the world at the drop of a hat. In November of 1970, our third daughter was born in Illinois. Her name is Susanna, and she was a person who always loved to write and I don't think she knew a stranger. She would walk up to a group of folks standing in an airport and join the conversation when she was small. But then in March of 1972, 
Ruth and I took our first overseas trip to a conference in Italy. And, and we were encouraged to meet with the speakers at this conference. It was called Adventure of Living. I had my 30th birthday in Sorrento, Italy. That's where it was. It was in Italy. It was great. A fellow named Bernard Harnick uh, was a Swiss psychiatrist, and he and his wife agreed to have lunch with us one day. And at that time, Ruth was three months pregnant with our fourth child. We didn't know the sex of the child. It was back in the day you didn't have that option, I don't think, so much. And we were chatting with the psychiatrist and his wife, and they started asking questions about how far along Ruth was and so forth and so on. And then he said, I think there is an 87% chance that baby will be a boy. <laughs> I had no idea how he knew that. He did, I don't know if it was the moon or what. Then came September 11th. 1972, six months after that meeting in Italy. And Ruth and I were at the hospital and she was in labor. And we were in that delivery room. Now, you need to understand that for that first child, Erica, back in the day, I was the bad guy. You couldn't go into labor. You were out in the hall looking through a window, maybe. And then as things progressed, by the time we got to the fourth child, Lamaze that method of breathing and relaxing and so forth had come into play. So I'm holding Ruth's shoulders going, <laughs> you know, that, that, that some of you have been there and done that. You get it. I'd had this conversation with God. I don't, I, I don't know that I got a response per se, but I was talking to him along the way. And I said, I love our three daughters, love them to death. I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine being without Erica and Jenny and Sue. But I said, you know, this is our fourth one, and if there's any chance along the way that it might be a boy, that'd be, that'd be great. If it's a girl, that's spectacular. But So there we were. And then that baby started to come. And of course, you know how the baby thing works, don't you? I mean, you have that moment of conception, and then those cells start to divide, and that child starts growing in the mother's womb. And about four months in, that child, I understand, can sort of have a sense for the mother's voice. And if that mother sings or sings lullabies, the child gets that. It's in this watery womb world, if you are it's comfortable. And then one day, the pressure starts. And I, as the child, I'm sure I, if, I don't remember this, of course. I wouldn't. I, I'm thinking, boy, this isn't good. There's a little pressure here. And all of a sudden, I'm going down that birth canal. And it's a lot of pressure. And then almost instantly, I'm out in this whole other world that's bright with light and there's giants talking and they're holding me upside down and if I could talk, I would have said, don't smack me, I'll cry. You know, it's just, it's the land of the giants. It's a whole new thing. And as that child emerged, the doctor turned the baby over and said, well, let's see what we have here. And he looked at me and grinned and said, you have a boy. I have to tell you, there are some moments in time that just capture you in a way that none other does. And that was one of those moments. And I had, a, I have to say, I had a speech prepared. Isn't it good to have a man-child in the promised land? Da, da, da. And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, yes! <laughs> and so here we are. This week, 50 years down the road, that boy we named Christopher Richard. 
and he has been a huge gift to us over the years. Now he himself is married to the lovely Tracy and they have three great children and he has lived a productive life and follows Jesus and I don't think I as a father or Ruth as a mother could ask for anything more than that. What a blessing Chris has been to our home and to our life and to many around. I love what it says in Psalm 127, three through five, in the message, this paraphrase of scripture by Eugene Peterson. This is how it reads in the message. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy? Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you you'll sweep them right off your doorstep. Now, many of you listening may not have children. Not all folks have children, but we've all been a child. Can I say it? You are a gift, a gift from God. I'm not saying that, actually. God's saying that. When Ruth and I reflect on September 11, 9-11, 1972, it was, might I say it, a bit like Christmas. And I'm not singing the first Noel. I'm just shouting, yes! That's it. I'm out till next week. Have a good one. God bless. See ya.